In that moment, I realized if I were to die today, and as a matter of fact, if I'm not already dead, I'm gonna go to hell. And it is because of every decision I've made. It is because I decided to disobey God. It is because I decided to do drugs, because I decided to disobey, because I decided to do things my way and not to listen, not to seek counsel. And it was nobody else's. It was my responsibility. And in that moment, thinking to myself like, if I'm bound for hell, what could save me? Who could save me? And God put this thought in my mind, Jesus, the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus to save you, even from the clutches of hell, even from any demonic power or forces. In that moment, that was the first time I've ever, ever looked at Jesus as the answer. And in that moment, I thought, I, I need Jesus. So I actually was born in Honduras and I immigrated to the U.S. when I was about three years old. Came here with my older sister and both of my parents and landed here in Maryland. So I've been here for probably the past, what, like 20 years, more or less. I grew up in the church. Um, so my dad was actually an elder for as long as I can remember. He was a worship leader. He was a Bible teacher and preacher. So that was kind of, you know, my upbringing. I remember as a kid, always going to Friday services, Sunday services, uh, even Tuesday services, you know, when we had Tuesday services, when we had, you know, all-nighters uh, where we would pray and worship the Lord, you know, I was there every retreat that they had, you know, I was, I was there. So that was my upbringing. So you could say that, like, I grew up within the church, you know, and that was really all that I knew. I grew up in a really sheltered home because my dad was an elder, because my mom served, you know, in the women's ministry. I was only allowed to listen to 91.9 or like gospel music CDs that my dad had, or, you know, there were only certain movies that I could watch. My parents would not let me sleep over at anybody's house. They wouldn't even let me go over to anybody's house unless they were Christians, right? So that was kind of my upbringing. And I wouldn't say that I had a bad upbringing as a kid. I had the liberty, I had the freedom, you know, to go out, ride on my bicycle, you know, enjoy my freedom as a kid. And when I think back about my childhood, I have memories that I really enjoy thinking about, you know, because it was a beautiful childhood. So when I got into middle school, this is when I actually started getting exposed to what the rest of the world outside of the church was like. Because when I got into middle school, I remember it was about seventh grade is when I had moved. I had moved from Gaithersburg to Germantown, brand new school, just started making new friends. And this is around the time that uh, that actually the economy crashed. If anyone remembers like the recession of 08-09, this was around that time where my parents had actually lost their home and we had to move from Gaithersburg where we had lost our home to Germantown. At the time, I didn't know that, you know, I didn't know that that was the reason why we moved. I just thought as an 11 year old kid, okay, we're moving, you know, wherever my dad says we, we are going, that's where we're going. And so remember when I moved seventh grade, brand new set of friends, you could say that I kind of hung out with the outliers. I wasn't athletic. I wasn't very outgoing socially, didn't have any talents that I knew of at the time. And I was uh, more of a reserved kid. So I didn't have really many friends. Seventh grade, I remember very clearly I had a camera lights and literacy class where we learned how to film make. And uh, one of the best classes that I enjoyed, I remember specifically one of the days that we were studying a film, we would watch the film, lights were off and everything else. And I remember clearly one of my friends that was sitting at the same desk as me pulls out his phone and he ends up showing us at the table pornography. And this was the first time that I was exposed to that. I had no idea what it was. 
it was such a, at the time, such a new thing for me that I didn't know how to process through it. And thinking back, it was really, it was really a dark and twisted thing to do to a kid is to expose him to something as vile as that. It was so twisted to the point where one of the kids that had the phone, I remember him saying, talking about masturbation, him starting to talk about what that was. And I had no idea what that was. So much to the point that they would even say, you know what, if you want to borrow the phone and go into the bathroom, then go and do that. And I thank God that I didn't that day. But that was the first time that I had exposure to that. And I remember leading on through the following years from seventh to eighth grade, starting getting exposed to secular music, started hearing about Wiz Khalifa, Chief Keef. Now I'm in high school. And now when I'm in high school, now I'm not only exposed to this music or pornography, but now I'm starting to see characters that are out of the ordinary from what I grew up in. I grew up in seeing people at church, you know, praising God, like prophesying, crying when they're in the presence of God, speaking in tongues. I grew up witnessing that. And now I'm in high school as a freshman, and I'm witnessing people walking around school shirtless, uh, getting into fights, smoking outside the school, people skipping class. And so it was almost like the amount of evil that I was exposed to, it started to progress the older and the older that I got. I remember as a 15-year-old kid, you know, after being exposed to everything that I was exposed to, I started to think to myself, I want a taste of that. I want a taste of that world. I want a little taste of fame and, and that kind of attention. I want a taste of what sex is like. I want a taste of what drugs are like. I want a taste of what excitement is outside of the four walls of my home and outside of the four walls of my church and outside of, you know, even the friend group that I grew up in, you know, of, of my church friends. And so at the age of 15, sophomore year, I remember getting into a relationship with a young girl, first girlfriend I ever had, remember getting into this relationship, ended up losing my virginity. That was almost like a downward spiral for me because outside of having the enticement of wanting to watch pornography after being exposed to it at such a young age, now I had gotten a taste of what that was like in real life, or so I thought, and constantly wanting that and finding some type of validation in sex almost and in this relationship. Now, Outside of that, something else happened to me when I was 15 that really changed the course of where my life was going as, you know, the son of an elder, the son of a church leader. I actually remember this Friday night, we used to have Friday services at 7.30, and I remember this Friday night, I was fed up with going to church. I remember Fridays, you know, I just wanted to stay home, relax, chill. Now that I had a girlfriend, maybe even sneak out to go see my girlfriend. And I remember my parents coming into my room this Friday night about seven o'clock when I was 15 years old and them telling me, you got to get up, you got to get ready, we're going to church. And distinctly remember saying to my mom, I don't want to go. And I said I didn't want to go. And it was almost like, for those of you that grew up getting disciplined by your parents, it's like when uh, you're you know, bigger than your parents and they can't whoop you anymore. It was like that moment for me where I finally learned to say no. And I said no to my mom. And then I said no to my dad. I said, no, I don't want to go to church. And after a few minutes of going back and forth with my parents about whether or not I should go to church, my dad tells my mom, just leave him. We have to go to church. I have to serve tonight. So I really need to be there by 7.30. They end up leaving. And I stayed home alone. And that was the first time that I had stayed home alone and I had not gone to church. And I remember that same night, I had one of my friends hit me up. He texted me and he asked me if I wanted to smoke weed that night. And that Friday night that I did not go to church was the first night that I smoked weed. And it started to, for whatever reason, after I smoked weed that one night, it's like weed started showing up everywhere. I started seeing how everything started shifting. 
everything from my priorities in life in terms of like accomplishing my dreams and you know wanting to you know one day become a filmmaker and going to film school all of those different things started to shift into now okay I've opened the door to this new world where I can get high have sex and have a good time and also be surrounded by people that are doing the same thing as me and for me that combination was very addictive I remember after that it went from sophomore year just smoking to junior year now selling drugs and to senior year having my counselors and the principal have sit down meetings with me telling me, hey, get ready because you're not going to graduate this year. You're going to have to repeat the 12th grade. You know, those were some difficult times for my parents. I think I'll just mention that as well, that at the time, the relationship that I had with my parents, of course, the same way that sin started to progressively grow in my life, and I started to smoke more, experiment with other drugs like LSD, starting to sell, you know, starting to sleep around. As those things started to progress in my life, the relationship between my parents and I started to deteriorate more and more and more and more as the days went on. It was like somehow the more evil I did, the more sin I had in my life, the more power that I thought and more freedom that I thought that I had over my parents. I used to look at my parents and think, why would you all be Christians? You know, you can't go out and party like everyone else does. You can't smoke like everyone else does. You know, you're restricted in your sex life. You can't do this. You can't listen to that. You know, and I was looking at Christianity from the lens of it's just a set of rules that are trying to restrict me, that are trying to take away my freedom. And that for me was something that I didn't want. And so during my teenage years, me and my parents were polar opposites, always. It was almost like I was always going against the grain when it came to my parents, when it came to things such as what am I going to do when I graduate high school, if I graduate high school? And I remember like the only times that I would go to church when I was in high school at this point were Father's Day or Mother's Day, maybe New Year's if I wanted to lend my parents, you know, 30 minutes to an hour of my time. But then I would always usually leave early to go to a party, to go get drunk, get high, do whatever it was that I had to do. I graduated and that alone was a miracle. That was by the grace of God that I graduated. Still remember, you know. And when I did graduate high school, I didn't really have a plan for what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. I had friends that were going to, you know, community college. I had other friends that had gotten scholarships. And I had other friends that they were like me, you know, they didn't really know what they were going to do either. So they just ended up going into the workforce or, and at the time I wasn't working at the time I was just, I was just pushing or I was selling drugs. A few months after that, I start getting into the retail world, got, you know, one of my first jobs. Mind you, all the while, these few years that I was working in retail, at this point, I'm about 18 years old. I'm still doing the same thing. I'm not going to church. You know, I have a really tough and toxic relationship with my parents, I would say, that was very aggressive at times. Sometimes I would get very aggressive with my dad. And I was so counter God, if I could say that. I was so against the word of God. There were times where I would be speaking with my dad, and if he brought up the Word of God, if he brought up what the Bible said about the way that I was living my life, I would get very angry, and I would find any reason to argue with him about how the Bible is not inherent, about how the Bible has contradictions, about how, you know, living the life that I was living was much better than living a life for God, you know, a God who at the time I thought was made up. I thought, you know, my parents are just crazy. They cry for no reason. They go to church. They prophesy. They speak in tongues. They do all these different things, but they're just deceived. That's, you know, that's how I looked at my parents. 
I was still doing, you know, all of the nonsense, you know, went from smoking weed to LSD. And while I was working in retail, it turned into doing things such as cocaine, even, you know, prescription medication that was not my prescription, abusing those drugs and alcohol, all the while sleeping around, going from one relationship to another. That was one thing that for me at the time, I remember that rejection was a very difficult thing for me to accept or to even grasp or to even to try and understand or to even face when I was in these romantic relationships all throughout my teenage years, even after I graduated high school, I always broke up with my girlfriends because I was afraid that they were going to leave me. And so the lie that I believed at the time was, let me leave them so that they don't do that to me. Or let me, let me do it first before they do that to me. And so I ended up hopping from one relationship to another, never really spending time in singleness, figuring out my stuff or figuring out like how to process my feelings or anything else. And I remember the last relationship I had, right at the point where I'm about to have my encounter with the Lord, the last relationship I had was probably the epitome of every other relationship I've had in terms of my downfalls, in terms of the level of toxicity I had. I had met a girl at the shopping center where I had worked at it, and um, we met and things, you know, started to escalate very quickly. You know, it went from just hanging out after work and smoking together to, you know, I was at the Christmas parties and I was coming over every night and, you know, I was meeting her kid and, you know, getting integrated into the family. And it started to very quickly escalate and go from a romantic relationship into uh, something that was more spiritual. But at the time, I didn't know. A few months go by and the relationship ended up becoming a codependent relationship where I had to see her every day, where I had to talk to her every day and even sexually dependent on her to the point where if I wasn't seeing her every single night, if I wasn't sleeping with her every single night, it was already difficult for me to go to bed, you know? And so that ended up turning into me going into work late every single day, going into work high every single day, going into work sleep deprived every single day and losing my job. I ended up losing my job about five months into the relationship. And at the time, my relationship with my parents slowly started to get worse and worse to the point where I didn't really feel like I even had a relationship with my parents to the point where I could do anything with my life and I didn't think or I didn't even have any empathy towards how my parents felt about it. So I ended up actually moving out of my house and moving in with this girlfriend, even though I had lost my job, so probably not the best decision, a month later, she ends up losing her job as well. Things started to go from this romantic fairy tale where, you know, she is the ideal woman for me. She's everything I wanted in looks. She made me laugh. Her personality was great. It went from all of that to I couldn't stand being with her. I wasn't even sure what I was doing with her. Uh, I couldn't even see myself being with her in the future. It went from good to bad really quickly in a matter of just a couple months while I'm living with her, mind you. So something happened that really changed my life. And I could say that this is probably when I had hit rock bottom. I was jobless. I was in a relationship with someone that I couldn't stand. I was in a relationship with somebody that was emotionally unstable, mentally unstable, spiritually unstable, financially unstable. And I could probably say that I was in that same position myself. So being in that place, I could say the only word that could describe how I felt was hopeless. I felt hopeless about my life. I used to say, I don't see myself getting to 30. I don't see myself even at 25. At the time, I was only 20 years old. 
I couldn't see myself having kids. I couldn't see myself getting married. That's how hopeless I was. I remember I would have to smoke before I went to bed, roll a blunt and smoke that myself just to try and go to bed. When I woke up, I had to smoke again. I couldn't be awake unless I was high. I couldn't eat unless I was high. If I wasn't having sex, then I couldn't stand my girlfriend. Mind you, I was living with her at the time. And we're, we were in a really tough situation because both of us had lost our jobs. Even though I was still selling drugs at the time, the relationship and the codependency made it so that I wouldn't even answer my phone, whether it was friends or people that were trying to buy drugs off of me. I wouldn't answer my parents. Parents, I think, at one point thought I was missing. And I was in a really dark place at that time where I just didn't know what I was going to do with my life. And I think the only reason why I never took my life was because I was too much of a coward to do that. I was too selfish to even take my own life. But, uh, but truly, I can say that in that moment in my life, it's almost like I didn't really feel anything. So being in that season of my life, I remember one time, you know, we're in a pickle here. We're in a tough situation with my, my girlfriend at the time because we're about to get evicted from our apartment. You know, we're having eviction notices on the door every week. And every week they're changing colors. It's going from green to yellow to red. And I remember one night we were like, you know what, we're just going to get wasted. We're just going to get drunk. We end up going to her brother's house and uh, we're drinking, we're smoking, and we're doing LSD, which is a hallucinogenic. And I remember that night as I took the LSD or as I took the acid, thinking to myself, this is just going to be like any other time that I've taken it. You know, growing up as a teenager, when I was 15, I took acid for the first time and I eventually started to sell it. I even remember like kids used to tell my sister, hey, do you know my older sister? Hey, do you know that your brother sells LSD? And she used to tell kids like, man, you're crazy. Stop saying that about my little brother. She had no idea the life that I was living because for so long, I tried to live a double life, right? And at the point that I had moved out, that's when I knew that I couldn't live a double life, that it's either I chose to either chose to be a Christian or I chose to live my life my way, the way that I wanted. And, uh, and at that time, I chose, you know what, I'm going to just do what I want, and I'm going to go out and live my life. And so at this point, this night, when I hit rock bottom, took the LSD, and I remember that same night, I actually found out that my girlfriend at the time was texting her ex, was calling her ex, was essentially cheating on me. And I remember that night thinking the hopelessness that I had already felt and how numb I was, it now totally, my life now totally became purposeless. Because even the relationship that could miraculously get better, maybe, I don't know, thinking to myself, if maybe I just stay in this relationship longer, maybe it'll get better. That hope was gone. Like, like now I'm, now I've got nothing but the clothes on my back, truly. And being in that state of mind, I remember going upstairs with my girlfriend at the time. We went up to a bedroom, we're sitting on the bed, and, and in that moment, which was about 30 minutes after I had taken the LSD, which is approximately the time that I'm supposed to start hallucinating, I don't start hallucinating, but a fear comes over me. A great fear comes over me, and it was like my life started almost flashing before me like I, in my mind I started to remember when I was a kid and when I used to get angry at God because when I would get disciplined I didn't understand why I was getting disciplined when I would do things that were wrong I didn't know why I was getting corrected why I was getting rebuked and I would pray to God angry and bitter prayers like God why don't why don't you just why don't you listen to me and I remembered those times when I was a kid making those angry bitter prayers and in that moment, sitting in that room, 
instead of hallucinating, I just started to think about my life and all the decisions that I had made about when I first did drugs at 15, when I first started to become rebellious, when I first started to just live my life the way that I wanted to with every decision from smoking weed to dropping acid to selling drugs to disobeying my parents to lying to them about the lifestyle that I was living to the pornography, the jumping from one relationship to another and never being honest with anyone and realizing in that moment every decision that I had made, it was my own. It was not a decision that anybody else took for me. Nobody forced me to do anything. It was a decision that I had made, every single one. And in that moment, a great fear came over me where I had realized the condition in which I was in, the spiritual condition in which I was in. I thought, you know what, this is supposed to be like every other time I've done acid. This is supposed to be like every other time I've done LSD. I'm supposed to be hallucinating. This is supposed to be a good time. But why are my sins being put before me? Why am I realizing right now that the woman that I'm with, that I thought was supposed to be my everything, is actually possessed by demons, is actually oppressed by demons, is actually doing and practicing witchcraft in that moment? I remember looking at my girlfriend at the time and seeing her with a smile on her face and her just laughing at me. And she knew in that moment that I was panicking, that I was going through something right now, that I was experiencing an overwhelming fear. I remember looking at her and seeing her laughing. And in that moment through that, God revealed to me, this is not the woman for you. As a matter of fact, this woman is here to destroy you. And in that moment, I realized if I were to die today, and as a matter of fact, if I'm not already dead, I'm going to go to hell. And it is because of every decision I've made. It is because I decided to disobey God. It is because I decided to do drugs, because I decided to disobey, because I decided to do things my way and not to listen, not to seek counsel. And it was nobody else's. It was my responsibility. And in that moment, thinking to myself, like, if I'm bound for hell, what could save me? Who could save me? And in that moment, I thought, and God put this thought in my mind, Jesus, the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus to save you, even from the clutches of hell, even from any demonic power or forces. In that moment, that was the first time I've ever ever looked at Jesus as the answer. And in that moment, I thought, I, I need Jesus. But there was a problem. And I thought to myself, I'm not a Christian. I, I never gave my life to God. I never lived my life for him. I never even believed in him. So now that I need him, how could I go to him? And I remember thinking in that moment, despite how rough things were between me and my dad, despite how many times I cursed him out, almost got into physical fights with him, despite how destructive my words were towards my dad, how rebellious I was, how I did things that hurt him and hurt my mom, that made them shed tears. Despite all those things, I remembered my mom and my dad in that moment. And I remembered that they are Christians. They are followers of Jesus Christ. And if there's anyone that I need to speak to in this moment, it's my mom and my dad. And I thought, I, I need them to pray for me because I need Jesus and they know him. They can introduce me to Jesus. They can bring me to him. And in that moment, I thought, I got to get out of here. I remember checking the window, opening the window. I'm like, let me make sure I'm not in hell real quick. Just like, I'm like, is there any flames out there? No, no flames. I was like, okay, so I'm going to, I'm going to book it. I'm going to leave this house where I am and I'm going to go find my parents. I don't care if it's the middle of the night. And it was like four in the morning. I was like, I don't care if it's four in the morning. As soon as I wanted to leave the room, I got up out of the bed and uh, I'm looking for my keys. 
got my keys, and uh, I look to my, my girlfriend at the time. She realizes that I want to leave, and she says to me, where are you going? She says, don't you know that you came with me? And in that moment, I, I realized that we drove in the same car, but also in that moment, I thought to myself, man, there's, there's some type of like spiritual tie here that needs to be broken. I was like, and I got to break this thing. And I said, I don't care if I had to run or if I had to walk home. I was like, but I'm getting out of here. As soon as I start walking towards the door, I look to my girlfriend at the time again. She starts laughing and she points at the door. And as she points at the door, I look over at the door and now you can audibly hear audibly. Not like I had mentioned earlier where God was putting these thoughts in my mind or he was bringing things into remembrance. I audibly heard voices of people weeping and crying out, of people getting tortured coming from the living room, coming from the door. And I thought to myself, oh, I am definitely in hell. And if I open that door, then I'm going to witness something that is going to confirm that I'm in a place that I cannot get out of. And there was that fear of you could be eternally damned or you could open the door and you could reach your salvation and you could face the fear anyways. And I look back at my girlfriend at the time and I thought, I don't care. And I walk through the door. I open the door. I go downstairs and it's just her family that's in the living room. And I remember they look up at me and they say in that moment, we thought you were asleep, they said. They look up at me. It's four in the morning. They're like, we thought you were asleep. And I tell them, no, you know what? I thought I was asleep, I told them, but I'm awake now. And in that moment, I wasn't telling them that I was having a dream. I wasn't telling them that I was physically asleep. But I was telling them, you know what? I was spiritually asleep. My eyes were closed. And I was spiritually dead. But I'm awake now. And God had brought me back to life in that moment, my spirit. I remember walking out of that house. And as soon as I walk out of that house, it's about 4.30 in the morning, more or less. It's about to be 5. And seeing that the sun is, come, is starting to come out at the time, you know, it had just snowed. And so the sky was almost white. And I remember looking up at the sky in that moment. And in that moment, as soon as I barge out of those doors, I start crying and I'm in tears. And I'm like crying out to God and just saying, thank you, Lord. Like, thank you for freeing me, God. Thank you for giving me another opportunity. And I remember like at that time, like I was very into the whole like goth thing. And I, for whatever reason, idolized death and always having like pendants with skulls on them, the Grim Reaper, many demonic things. I remember in that moment, I was like, God, I give this to you. I remember ripping the chains off of my neck and just throwing them and in tears, crying out to God and saying, I'm sorry, because I used to think that my parents were crazy. I used to think that my parents were the crazy ones, that they were out of their mind, that they were deceived. But actually, God, that was me. I was crazy. I was deceived. And I remember walking to my car, which was like two or three miles away, getting into my car finally. And as I got in my car, something happened and doubt started to creep into my mind. And the idea that maybe I was just on drugs and maybe I was just hallucinating. The thought came into my mind that that experience wasn't real. You know what? God is not real. How could he possibly be real? And I remember thinking to that moment, the coffee's going to decide for me. I remember, I think Starbucks opened at five or six o'clock. Instead of driving home to my parents to where I was going to confess my sin and actually give my life to Jesus instead, Instead of doing that, I went to Starbucks and I bought an Americano and I drank that. And I thought to myself, maybe I'm sober now and maybe that was all just a hallucination. Let me go back to the house where my girlfriend is at and let me just apologize for acting all crazy. And so that's what I did. I ended up going back into the house where God had allowed me to have that experience, that supernatural experience. And when I walk back inside the house, they're all laughing at me. They're mocking me. They're like, dude, you're crazy. What's wrong with you? Yada, yada, yada. And so I decided to stay in the relationship for another month. And um, things ended up getting worse. You know, the eviction happened. And, you know, now we're essentially couch hopping with my ex-girlfriend. And 
Remember, a month passed by, about April 21st, April 22nd, at this point, about a month later, and it was my friend's birthday. We go to my friend's birthday party, a surprise birthday party. It was all great and dandy. And you know what? Things are looking like maybe they're going to work out a little bit better. We're applying for apartments and, you know, we're trying to find a new place to live. We're doing interviews left and right to get new jobs. The credit card is almost maxed out. So I'm like, okay, like something's got to give now, you know, because we're, we almost have no money whatsoever. Got to make something happen. And at this birthday party, my ex-girlfriend or my girlfriend at the time, she was not having it. She couldn't be in the room for whatever reason. She wasn't feeling it. She wanted to be by herself. And so she says to me, why don't we just get out of here? Why don't we go do acid again? And, uh, and that's it, right? Why don't we go do that? Why don't we go leave the party and drop acid? And the moment I thought, okay, I want to please her. I want the relationship to get better. So why don't we do that? So we left the party. We go, we buy some LSD. We go back to her brother's house. We drop LSD again. And 30 minutes into the experience, I have the same fear that came over me. Not a, not a hallucination, nothing that I saw that wasn't there. The fear came over me that I am definitely bound for hell if I keep living this life. And I didn't need to hear anything else. I didn't need to see anything else. I was, as soon as the fear came over me, I, I thought to myself, God, this time I'm going to listen to you. And I remember feeling for my keys, where my keys at, had my keys on me and I leave. And as soon as I leave, you know, my ex-girlfriend and her brother, they're trying to get me to not leave the house. And they're telling me, you can't drive like that. You're on drugs. You cannot keep driving like that. What's wrong with you? This, that, or the third. But I knew in my mind, I was convinced. And it was incredible because at that moment, and mind you, this is a drug that I had taken time and time again as a kid. Like I had experience with it. But these times, I did not feel high. I was not tripping, if you could say that. But there was a level of sobriety to where I knew exactly what was happening. And in that moment, I said, you know what? I have to leave. I'm sorry. I don't care. Like, I have to leave. And I remember walking out to my car that was in the parking lot, getting in the car, starting the engine, and driving home. And I remember driving home. And as I'm driving home, I just remember, like, 91.9. I said, I got to listen to some worship music or something right now. I turn on the radio. I'm trying to put 91.9. That thing is not working for whatever reason. The signal is jammed. And I turn off the radio. I'm like, oh, God, like, please. Like, I need to see my parents. Like, I need my parents to pray over me. I know that I can have salvation through Jesus, but they know Jesus and I don't. I was like, I have to, I have to speak with them. I have to have them pray for me. And I remember as I'm driving on 270, I remember seeing police officers that were driving behind me and thinking to myself, oh, I'm definitely going to get pulled over. And if I get pulled over and they test me or something like that, I was like, they're going to realize that, you know, I took some drugs and this could be bad and I, and I never get home and I never give my life to Jesus. But the police officers end up actually driving around me and for a second driving next to me and then driving off. And in that moment, I knew God was going to keep me safe. God wanted me to go home. And so I kept on the course and I kept driving. And as I got home, it was about five o'clock Sunday morning, April 21st, 22nd. And I remember looking at my house and thinking to myself, oh my gosh, is anyone going to answer? It's five in the morning on a Sunday. Church doesn't start until 1030. I don't think they're going to answer. And so I FaceTime my sister. And luckily, as soon as I FaceTime her, she answers. And I tell her, please, can you please open the door? I'm here. I don't have my key. At this time, you know, I had moved out, so I didn't have a key to the house. And so my sister comes downstairs and she opens the door. And now at this point, just by looking at her, I'm in tears. And I tell her, Zuri, I think my sister's name is Zuri, by the way. And I tell her, I say, Zuri, I think I just found Jesus. And I'm in tears. And, you know, she sits me down on the couch. I tell her, I said, look, please don't be mad at me. 
but I took a lot of drugs. I said, and maybe I'm high right now, I don't know. And I'm in tears and I'm telling her, but I just found Jesus. And in that moment, it was so beautiful because God spoke to me through her. God said to me through my sister, she prophesied to me. And in tears, you know, because she was being used by God, she said, you know, you've been looking everywhere. You've been looking in all the wrong places. You've been looking in other people, but I am your best friend and I have always been here for you. And I remember when she said that, when God spoke to her, I just break down in tears and I felt the love of God in that moment. And I knew, I knew that God was protecting me the whole time. You know, that God was protecting me while I had been selling drugs and I could have been killed. God had been protecting me while, you know, I was having sex left and right outside of marriage. You know, even while I was doing just the crazy things that I was doing with my life, God was protecting me. Even on the way there, even while I was driving home, God was protecting me because he, he did care about me. He was a personal God. He wasn't just a God that was distant from me. And so I remember I told her, I said, I got to talk to mom and dad. I was like, do you think they're awake? She's like, no, they're asleep. I said, well, we got to wake them up. And I remember going upstairs into my parents' bedroom and waking them up and trying to tell them the experience that I just had, telling them I just met Jesus. This is what happened. And my dad was skeptical. He was skeptical because he was like, you know, this kid, he's lied to us almost, you know, for half of his life about the life that he's been living. And I even remember my dad telling me a short while ago that at first he doubted that it was genuine. But as I started to confess my sins that night, I told him everything I did. I said, look, mom, look, dad, I'm still smoking still selling drugs. This is where I live now. This is what's going on in my life. And I, and I need forgiveness and I'm sorry. And I need Jesus. And that's all I knew. And I remember in that moment, my dad realized that God was doing a work in my heart, that the spirit was involved. And so they prayed for me. They laid hands on me. And in that moment, I didn't know what was going to happen, but they laid hands on me and they prayed for me at five in the morning, Sunday, and God delivered me from the spirit that was holding me hostage to my drug addiction. And I remember as they're praying for me, they're praying for me, they're casting out demons and they're praying fervently. And as soon as we finished praying, I felt something like at the bottom of my stomach. And I was like, this thing needs to come out. I don't know what it is. I run to the bathroom. I'm on my knees in the bathroom, you know, my head in the toilet. And I'm thinking I'm going to throw up or something. And as this thing comes out of me, it's like this huge ball comes out. And I hear this roar that comes out of my mouth. And when I get up and I look at the toilet, there's nothing there. There's nothing there. And I turn around and I look at myself in the mirror. And I finally saw myself as I was in that moment. It was like the veil was lifted. Like <laughs> there's no deceiving myself anymore about who I am and about my need for Christ and about my brokenness. I saw myself in the mirror and I truly saw how broken I was and the state that I was in because of all the decisions that I had made in my life and how it brought me there. I remember walking out of the room and my dad telling me, he says, so you know what you got to do now? He says, you got to go shower and you got to get ready because we're about to go to church and we're going to go praise the Lord for what he just did in your life. And so that was, you know, the experience where God met me where I was. God met me, you know, when I was in all of my sin that was so disgusting, yet he reached out to me. And it wasn't my parents. It wasn't my mom that called me. It wasn't my dad that called me. It wasn't my friends that called me or knocked on my door. Hey, how are you doing? Hey, you got to come back to the feet of Jesus. Hey, no, it was the Lord himself and his Holy Spirit that spoke to me and drew me to him there where I was. And so that was essentially the beginning of my life as a Christian. That's how God met me where I was. 
And as I started getting saved, like, I started to become more zealous for the Lord. You know, I started going to church Friday services, Sunday services, Tuesday services, praying and prophesying in my room by myself, like, just hungry for the Lord because of what He had done in my life, sharing my testimony with almost anyone that I met. I had to tell them about what Jesus did in my life. And I remember telling my friends, my closest friends, about what God had done in my life and about how He had delivered me, and them just telling me that I was crazy and telling me that, hey, dude, you were just on drugs. And thank God, even though they didn't believe in God, but they were like, thank God that you didn't go crazy, but thank God that now you're sober. And that was the beginning now of a healing process because even though God had delivered me from, you know, my addiction to weed and having to smoke every single day and having to, you know, smoke to go to sleep and to eat and to all those different things, that dependency, God had freed me from that. He had, you know, torn the veil. There was still a healing process that had to happen in my heart from when I got saved in 2019, in April of 2019. It took me about three to four months to actually completely sever the relationship between my girlfriend at that time. You know, I told her, I said, look, we got to do things right. If we're going to do things right, if we want to, you know, sleep together, we have to get married. We, you know, we have to do things right. But in the meantime, if we're not married, you have to go move back in with your dad and I'm going to move back in with my parents. And so we did that. And for, you know, the next couple of months, it was a process of me trying to drag her to church, picking her up all the way in, you know, in Southeast DC and bringing her all the way to Silver Spring and trying to get her to come to church. And a few times we did, you know, a few times she was in church and she even received, you know, a partial deliverance herself. But God revealed to me during those three months after I had gotten saved during that summer of 2019 that um, I, darkness and light, they have nothing to do together. Like God revealed to me that she wasn't saved and I was at that time. And if I wanted to live my life in holiness, if I wanted to live a life of righteousness, I couldn't do it by her side. Because every time I met up with her, you know, I had the urge to, hey, let's smoke together. When I met up with her, you know, I had the urge to, hey, let's sleep together. And God was showing me, you need to cut those ties. And I loved her, but I loved God more than her. And God showed me that if you want her to be healed, let me heal her. You can't heal her. You can't save her. That's something that only I can do. That relationship ended, started to get more involved in the church and uh, started to serve wherever it was that I could, you know, made sure to go to every single Bible study, whether it was, you know, picking up the chairs or like setting the tables, I was doing something for God. Two months after I had gotten saved and I had this conversion experience, I actually got baptized. And I got baptized because I wanted to truly do it out of faith. I wanted to be obedient to God. And although I had gotten baptized when I was 11 or 11 or 12 around there. I had only done it then because I saw other people getting baptized. So this time I was like, you know what? I'm gonna, if I'm going to do something for God, I'm going to do it out of faith, right? And so I got baptized in 2019, you know, two months after getting saved at 20 years old this time. So now I was living for Christ. I mean, now I was any chance that I got to be in the church, to be in fellowship with my brothers, like I was doing that, you know, I was now single. I w had been freed from that relationship and God was really starting to uh, to put me to work, right? He was like, I saved you so that you could worship me. And so now I was starting to live a life of worship for God and, and a life of obedience. But something slowly started to creep back into my life. Lust and pornography started to creep back into my life. And at first, I thought to myself, okay, I understand that as a Christian, you know, I'm going to have like moments of weakness. It's not like sin is going to be completely obliterated from my life. And so I didn't think much of those moments of weaknesses, but it ended up starting to progress more and more to where I found myself falling back into this. 
and thinking to myself, this was about like a year after I had gotten saved, thinking to myself, what is going on here? And starting to get very doubtful of the work that God had done in my heart and in my life and about even my own salvation, because I was thinking, God, like, aren't I supposed to be blameless at this point? Like, God, like, what's going on? Like, I thought when I had gotten delivered, when I got home, I thought I got delivered from everything. I thought that's what that was, God. And I started to have this battle for about a year or so, from 2020 to 2021, this battle where it's a battle in my mind where I'm thinking to myself, you know, doubting my own salvation and struggling with this sin and not knowing what to do with it, you know? About 20, I would say 2021 is when I really started to seek counsel for this. And I started to realize, okay, like this is getting a little bit out of hand. I keep confessing that I have this this issue every time I fall. And I was like, but I, God, I don't want to keep falling. You know, I, I felt like I was in a miserable place because I want to please God. I want to be obedient. At the other hand, I can't. So what do I do, God? And it, and it was very, very difficult for me to talk about this after I had such a such an explosive and impactful experience and having other people know that. It was very difficult to say, hey, actually, I'm still struggling. Like, even though I had this supernatural experience and everyone is looking at me like, wow, like, like wow, praise God, like, ooh, like miracle done in your life, like 180 turn in your life. And I'm like, yo, but I'm still struggling. So it was very difficult to talk to my brothers about that in the church, in the fellowship, though. When I would confess, I would confess to my dad, you know, that was kind of that relationship that God had reconciled. And that was is one of the things that I'm most grateful to the Lord about is that when I came to Christ, he did not just reconcile me to himself, but he reconciled me to my family. You know, he reconciled me to my dad. We went from, you know, me and my dad went from arguing about whether or not the Bible is accurate to me and my dad now just sharing, you know, sharing the word together, sharing about what God is showing us in the scriptures together and being like the theology buffs where like my mom, she always tells my siblings, if your brother and your dad start talking, they won't stop, right? Because we love to talk about the word together. Well, despite me confessing my sins to my dad, I felt like still there was this challenge in my life where I could not overcome this. And so I remember thinking to myself, I got to talk to one of my church leaders. And so I did. Outside of my dad, I spoke to my youth pastor at the time and, and got some advice from them. I actually ended up seeking Christian counseling. And at the time, I met with a Christian counselor, almost the same exact thing that I did with my dad, where I confessed my sins or kind of just walked through what I was feeling or what I was thinking is what I did with my counselor. I remember doing that for about eight months. Those eight months were challenging because I had to actually talk about those feelings of fear, those feelings of anxiety, those feelings of doubt. And it's not easy to address that, especially when you're already saved. It's hard to talk about being fearful when we have a God that tells us not to fear. And so it's almost hard to address how you're feeling. Sometimes you think, is it a sin to feel afraid? Is it a sin to feel doubt? And so I met with my counselor for about eight months and things started to get better. And I felt like, okay, like I think I can get a hold of this thing and started walking through now my like healing process from what I didn't know at the time was sex addiction. And as I was walking through that, I remember I stopped counseling. I stopped meeting with my counselor. And now at this point in my life, I was already in a leadership position at my church uh, with the young adults and the uh, youth. And I was serving as a translator. I was serving as an evangelist. And I knew that God's calling for my life was great. And I didn't want to give it up. I didn't want to forsake what God had called me to because I was getting tired or because I was growing weary. 
And so as I kept fighting through this now and building accountability around my life through my brothers in Christ, even through software and, you know, through more prayer than I had ever done in my entire life, I started to fall again. And I remember that when I started to fall again, now the shame became stronger than even the fear. It wasn't fear anymore about am I saved, am I not, but it was shame of how many times do you have to confess? How many times do you have to admit that you're struggling? How many times, how many times, how many times? And I remember that uh, there was a point where I stopped confessing. And I stopped confessing for a few months what I was going through, uh, even with some of my accountability partners. And about October of 2021, I remember we had a youth retreat. And I remember at this youth retreat, we had a guest pastor that came in. We're all excited about it. I had to translate for him. And I was thinking to myself, this is going to be great. There's going to be a revival in the youth. And I think anyone that is a Christian that serves in the church, it's so easy sometimes to want to see revival in other people, to see deliverance in other people, and put your own freedom on the back burner. But we know that we can't give what we don't have ourselves. And that's why God was prompting me and pulling and tugging at my heart during this retreat, not only that I had to serve, but mainly that there was some deliverance that had to happen there. And so I remember during that retreat, this was about Friday, it was a Friday to Sunday retreat. And I remember Friday night is when things get like hard hearts get like, you know, they get softened Friday night, you know, during the ministering of the word. I remember after the preaching, you know, we sing a worship song and now we start ministering. Now we start praying. And as the uh, guest pastor starts praying, he says, you know, there's someone here that, that needs deliverance. And if that's you, if you need deliverance today, I want you to come to the altar. I want you to come to the front. And I thought to myself, I'm a leader. I was like, I cannot walk up to the front and have people realize that I need deliverance myself. Like, no, like, what are they going to think that, you know, that you've, you've been in this for two years already. There's no way that you're not fully delivered. There's no way that you're still struggling. There was that shame that kept me truly paralyzed in the moment. I didn't walk forward. I didn't, you know, I didn't even raise my hand in that moment. But in my heart, I knew that I had to go and I needed deliverance. By the power of the Holy Spirit, this guest pastor knew, and he says, and he calls me out, out of the crowd, and he says, I know you didn't come to the front, but you in the black hoodie, all the way in the back, yes, you, and there was only about 100 people in the room, and I was really the only one with the black hoodie, and he points to me, and he says, just lift your hands up there where you are, so I lift up my hands. He starts praying for deliverance, and he starts casting something out of me, and he says, there's something between that only you and God know, and I thought to myself, no, this can't, this can't be like the lust that I fight against. No, this can't be because I've already confessed that. Like I've already, you know, so what can this be? Like, I'm not hiding anything. Like, yes, I'm hiding that I'm still struggling, but no, this, that can't be it. And so I remember as he's praying that he says to two brothers that are standing behind me, he says to them, just put your hand over his shoulder. Just put your hands over his shoulder. And one of the brothers puts his hand on my right shoulder and the other brother puts his hand on my left shoulder. And as soon as they do that, I fall to the ground and I'm on my knees. I lose all the strength in my legs and God begins to deliver me. And after I had that deliverance, I remember sitting there on my knees in a moment of peace and God brought something into remembrance finally. And he brought into remembrance when I was about 10 years old and I had gotten sexually assaulted by an older boy in my neighborhood. And he brought that back into my mind. And in that moment, I realized what the root of a lot of these problems were that I was having. 
a lot of the self-esteem problems, having to prove my masculinity through having sex, a lot of trying to prove my worth to my parents by my performance, trying to serve everywhere that I possibly could just to prove, just to prove, just to prove that I was worthy, that I was enough. But I didn't tell anyone in that moment. So I found that out, but I didn't tell anybody. So God showed me that, but I didn't tell anybody in that moment. Ended up telling my counselor. I called my counselor maybe a week or two later, and I ended up telling him about this experience. And I told him, yeah, you know, I'm good. Like, this is what the root is. I found out what the root is, you know, so I just want to let you know. As the year started ending and we're coming into 20, you know, 22, I still kept falling into this sin, this lust and pornography. And I started thinking to myself, God, like, how? Like, you've revealed the root. Like, I've gone to therapy. Like, I've gotten delivered several times. Like, God, like, I've confessed. Like, what is it now, God, that you require of me? And turns out that when the same guest preacher that had done deliverance comes back in about March of 2022, it's time for me to translate for him again. And it's a Friday through Sunday Congress, right? Or a conference, I guess you guys would call it. A conference that we had with several guest preachers. And uh, this preacher was one. And so Friday rolls around and I'm translating for him. And I see a powerful move of God where hundreds and hundreds of people are getting delivered and the the fire of the Holy Spirit falls upon our congregation. People are being baptized in the Holy Spirit, and God is using me as a vessel. And in that moment, after that night, I knew, I don't know what I have to do. I didn't know who I had to speak to, but I knew that I had to get freedom through the Lord Jesus in order to be used because God had given me a taste of what He had called me for and how He wanted to use me. And in that moment, I knew I, I didn't know what was going to happen that weekend, but something was going to give. And I remember Sunday rolls around and I have to serve and I have to translate for the guest preacher for the last service of this entire conference. And I'm thinking to myself, I got to either talk to the guest preacher and tell him what God revealed to me about the sexual trauma. I've got to tell him or I've got to tell my pastor. And I'm getting ready. I'm putting on my suit and everything. And I'm thinking, all right, I'm going to go in there. I'm going to go in there early to confess and to tell them what I've gone through. And I know God's going to fully deliver me. And the Spirit puts a thought on my mind, in my mind. And He says, but do your parents know? And in that moment, I thought, how am I going to tell my pastor? How am I going to tell this guest preacher about what I went through as a kid and not my own parents? My parents, coincidentally, not even coincidentally, God ordained, were both having breakfast at the same time upstairs while I was getting ready, which usually doesn't happen because we're a busy family. And I thought, I, this God is giving me this moment to speak to them. So I remember going upstairs and talking to my parents and telling them, hey, I got to tell you guys something. And uh, they were like, okay, they're eating their breakfast. And I'm like, it's going to require some prayer. <laughs> and my dad was like, okay, let me go grab the oil to, to anoint you, okay? And uh, my dad comes back downstairs. He grab, he's got the oil. And he's like, okay, what's going on? And I tell them about how God, when, he had, when I had gotten deliverance in October at the youth retreat, God revealed to me that I had been sexually assaulted as a kid in our neighborhood. And in that moment, you know, as I'm telling this to my parents, I'm in tears because it was just difficult to even say. I hadn't processed it. I hadn't processed through it. And I remember telling my parents and my mom is in tears. My dad's in tears because like, wow, we didn't know. So many years we just didn't know. And in that moment, I found freedom because I was actually fully known. God knows me. God fully knows me. But God wanted me to be fully known by my family.
when God wanted to reconcile me to my parents, when he wanted to reconcile me to my family, he didn't want to do that halfway. He didn't want to partially do that. He wanted to fully do that. And in order for me to fully be known by my parents, I had to tell them about this. And I had to tell them about what I went through. And I remember that day going forward, God started to use me in a very powerful way in our congregation with brothers that I was mentoring, that we were growing and healing together. And wow, like through that, God had taught me so much in that moment. And God finally gave me liberty because when you understand why you do things, a lot of the sins that we commit, like, you know, drinking, smoking, having sex, watching pornography, masturbation, we look at those things as the actual issue. They are a issue, they're they're an issue, but they're not the issue. They're not the cause, they're just the symptom. God wanted to reveal to me what is the reason why, what is the cause as to why you think you need to watch pornography, you think you need to prove yourself to other people, you think you need to work and show that you are worthy. God was saying, you are worthy. You don't have to prove that you're a man. You already are one. Why? Because I made you and I made you in my image. And God said, you know what? No more being afraid, no more doubting. I've made you a man and a man of God. When God did that in my life, it was almost like the foundation was finally set fully set. Now the concrete's dried. And now God is saying the healing, the healing that needed to be done many years ago, it's complete. And now it's time to grow. Now it's time to build. Now it's time to edify, not just myself, but to edify the church. And that's the entire thing. I mean, God really wanted to reveal to me all of those different things, because sometimes I used to think to myself, ah, it's just my story is about how I used to do drugs and about how God delivered me from that. The true story was not that. True story was not, oh, you got delivered from drugs, you don't do drugs no more. Or you used to sell drugs, you don't sell drugs no more. True story was, I looked at myself as worthless, but God was showing me that I was worth more than I ever thought. And not because of anything that I did, not because of anything that I can do, but because he made me and he made me in his image. And that's more than enough. And that gave me freedom to make mistakes sometimes, to maybe I didn't say the right thing and that's okay, to continue to grow, to continue to heal. That gave me freedom to really be a child of God, not trying to pretend to be someone that I'm not, not trying to pretend like I'm perfect because I'm not, but accepting that I am a child in need of his father. And that understanding brought healing to my heart. Eliel, who is Jesus to you? He is my everything. He is, he's my best friend, my counselor. He's everything that I had ever longed for, but did not know that I had. Elil, for anybody who is dealing with that same struggle that you dealt with when it came to pornography, when it came to just the brokenness, and let's say they're in that place right now, what can you say to those men and women who are watching, who are feeling hopeless, who are feeling everything that you felt in those moments? What can you say to them? Well, I'd like to say... You know, first off, that if you feel hopeless, understand that God can even use that. If you feel broken, God can and will use even that. There's a a verse in the scripture that talks about how you and I are jars of clay, and we're not perfect, and we're not, you know, what people see on TV, and we're not what people see on Instagram. We are humans that are flawed, that are finite. 
And at the end of the day, God can use your mistakes. The biggest thing that the enemy wants to use against us is shame so that we cannot come to the throne of grace. What does the scripture say? It says that we can come to the throne of grace, right? We can come to God confidently knowing that he knows our mistakes. Even if you've never confessed it, he already knows. So the next step is, you know what? God, I want to be fully known is, God, I want to be delivered. And deliverance takes vulnerability. It takes you being okay with admitting that you've made a mistake and that you're not perfect, with you understanding that there are deep roots that need to be yanked out and that the healing process doesn't just take a month. It doesn't just take a few weeks. It takes years. And that's okay because God is going to be patient with you. And he's been patient with you this far. If you're watching this, he's going to continue to be patient with you. Any last words? You know, I really felt that I wanted to, uh, I felt that God was prompting me to read this. And uh, I was at a Bible study this morning and I was reading through Ephesians. And as we were reading through Ephesians, God really started to encourage me about the amazing work that he's done in my life and that he's done in the lives of many others that you know, have been on this channel and, you know, you might encounter on your daily lives that you see serving the Lord, that you see in the kingdom. And, uh, and it says this in Ephesians, it says, uh, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He says in verse four, even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world. So you're chosen that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to him as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to do what? To the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. And verse 7, I love this. He says, in him we have redemption through his blood. Redemption doesn't come through your works. It doesn't come through how long you've been sober. It doesn't come from, are you a virgin or not? It doesn't come from, have you ever done drugs or not? It doesn't come from how little or how small are my mistakes. But redemption comes through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, regardless of how great they are, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and yes, things on earth, including your family, including your heart and your desires. God is reconciling all those things to himself. And he's doing it by the blood of Jesus Christ. He's not doing it by your own strength. And if there's anything that I could say to you is just stop trying to do it by your own strength because you won't be able to. But ask God to give you his strength because by his spirit, you will be delivered.